Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are at the National Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I am here with Mariah, who is going to be our tour guide through this awesome museum. Uh, the drive across Kentucky was absolutely beautiful. Kentucky's a pretty cool place. That it is. And uh, we ended up here at this museum. She was gracious enough to say that she would take us through, talk to us, and just walking through the front doors, I'm in awe. So hopefully everybody will enjoy this podcast and let's get going. Mariah. All right, well, welcome to the National Corvette Museum. So the NCM opened in 1994 here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, right across the street from the Bowling Green Assembly Plant, and we've been in this location ever since. We are the gateway to all things Corvette. We like to say that Bowling Green is that city. So as we go through today, you'll see lots of Corvettes and even non-Corvettes that help tell a story of both the museum and America's true and one and only sports car. So as we stand here in our lobby area, we have a Corvette Boulevard where there are anywhere between eight to 10 brand new Corvettes on display at a time. These Corvettes are a part of our R8C museum delivery program. So when you order your Corvette brand new, you have the option of selecting code R8C, which means you can take delivery of your new Corvette here at the museum instead oh, of your dealership. Wow. Mm -hmm. So what they do is the car will come over from the plant across the street on a Jack Cooper truck, get delivered to our museum delivery PDI unit, and it's going to get inspected by our pre-delivery inspection team. After that, your car is going to come and sit out on the boulevard and await for you to pick it up, and you can see it from our webcams that are accessible to you as well and your guests who might not be able to join you. Wow. The gentlemen that you see out here in the red with the right. hats talking, those are our delivery hosts, so they know everything about the new 2021 Corvettes. And they're going to be there to walk you through your new car, help you get set up, help you get situated, and learn everything that you want to know. At the end of the day, we're going to have an announcement play that says a new delivery customer is leaving in their brand new Corvette. The line, I can't drive 55, will play. Museum staff will come out, we'll line up right here, and we will send you off with lots of applause down your merry way up the Corvette Boulevard and down the Victory Lane. When you get outside, our delivery host will hand you the keys to your brand new car, take professional photos of you and your car, and then you 
are good to go with your brand new Corvette. Wow. Mm -hmm. And now how many people report how many tickets they got on their way home? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice to know? <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> also on our Corvette Boulevard is the Museum, Library, and Archives. So when the museum was first going to get started, we were originally only going to be a library and archives. Until a gentleman by the name of Ray Quinlan says, I will donate you all a 1953 Corvette if you will build a museum around it with the library. And what and year so was the, the Corvette first introduced? 1953. So it's, it's like one of the very first. It is. So this is our Corvette Boulevard. Of course, we have our Corvette store too and a new dining experience that will open Memorial Day weekend on the other side of the boulevard as well. So when you come in, you'll see our simulator where you can get behind the wheel of a C6R simulator and test your look on a virtual track. And you can purchase tickets to win a brand new Corvette. So every two weeks or so, the museum gives away a new Corvette for as little as $20 a ticket. Really? Every yes. week? Every couple of weeks. Every couple of weeks. So we actually have a delivery, on, not a delivery, a raffle on Thursday of this week. We'll be giving away a Corvette. And then two more at the end of this month and one the second week of May. Wow. And yeah. can you do that online? You can. So you can go to raffle.corvettemuseum.org. You can see a list of our current raffles. If you're in the state of Kentucky, you can purchase the ticket online. If you're outside of the state of Kentucky, you purchase a barcoded form that you mail into the museum for it to be processed here so we can comply with gambling laws. Well, I guess I'm going to lose 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm going to buy a ticket to get a Corvette. If yeah. you win, it could be that white one right there. Oh, yeah. that white one. Yep, if you win it, that'll be your new Corvette. Corvette. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. So after you come in from the admissions counter, you're going to enter our gateway, where the first thing that you'll see is a 1953 cutaway Corvette. This is a unique Corvette because it's chassis number 003 that they used for testing in the development of the Corvette. A gentleman acquired the chassis, acquired a 53 Corvette, put them together, and sliced it in half so that we could see the inner workings of the first Corvette as well as what the exterior would be if you were to see it on the roadway. So, of course, we have that blue flame six engine in the 53 as well. And he split it in half. Yes. <laughs> it's just about enough to make a person cry, isn't it? Some people might say that. Is that why they call it a cutaway because it's cut in half? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Wow. So behind the cutaway, we have Harley Earl, who is considered to be the father of the Corvette. He's the one who really got the idea of the Corvette started. And what came to be was that World War II kind of really just ended. All of these U.S. troops are coming back to America, and they're talking about these European sports cars that they see, like the MGTC Roadster, which we have on display here. They come back, they're like, you know, how come the U.S. doesn't have this two-seated sports car that we've seen all over Europe? What's going on? So that's where the idea really got started. Now, of course, the Corvette is not the first two-seater sports car in America either. The first was the Crosley Hotshot, which was a steel sports car made in Crosley, Ohio. And the Crosleys were like super small. I they mean, were. Super, they super were small. tiny, compact, and very heavy because of the material that they were made out of. Which but they're is cute. Steel. They are cute. But they're Crosleys pretty even cute. made like pickups and some other things too. Mm -hmm. And they were all just like matchbox cars, yes. really. Now the Crosley didn't last for very long, but we did get some inspiration, you know, of course, with it being a two-seater for the Corvette too. Now the Corvette is also not the first fiberglass car. The first oh, really? fiberglass car is a 1946 Y46 concept car from Stout. 
This is the first car really made of fiberglass that they used as an experimental car. If we were to purchase this car today, it would be valued at millions of dollars because of how much it cost to make it if it were ever to go to market. Really? Mm -hmm. And this is a concept? It is a concept. It's amazing that, that some of these concepts were preserved. Mm -hmm. But this one, it, it, this kind of looks like an old 48 uh, <laughs> Hudson in a lot of ways. In a way, yeah, and, especially uh, with know, the body style. It's got the style. slope back and the, and the big passenger compartment, a little tiny hood in front. Mm -hmm. uh, it's painted blue. And it's really a pretty nice looking little car. Mm -hmm. Now Corvette, when it came to be, was originally coded as Project Opal at General Motors. That's the code name that they gave the project they were working on. Okay. And Corvette was not the first name that they had selected for the vehicle either. It was originally going to be called the Chevrolet Cougar. As you can see here, we only have a few photos in existence of them ever putting the Cougar branding on a Corvette to see what it looked like. Okay. They didn't like the way that Corvette sounded, so a gentleman by the name of Myron Scott, who is the inventor of the Soapbox Derby, was working for General Motors at the time in their marketing department. They were sitting in the office flipping through a C encyclopedia, trying to find out what would go well with Chevrolet, and they came across the word Corvette. Now, Corvette has been used before as a battleship used by the French Naval in the World War II, so it was small, compact, and fast, and it was known for weaving in and out of other ships. Okay. Therefore, the Chevrolet Corvette. Small, compact, and fast. Cool. Mm -hmm. And we have a Corvette battleship as well. Okay. Yeah, a, a mock-up of the battleship there. Mm -hmm. that is, there, now, there were other concept cars coming out at the, about the same time. I was at a museum in uh, Gateway, Colorado mm -hmm. that had, I think it was an Oldsmobile JT88 or something like that that was, uh, again, a GM product. Mm -hmm. And I think it came out about the same period as this. And the story on that was it was in, in a garage or something, or in crates, and the guy was able to have mm -hmm. all the parts to put it back together, and it's on display. Beautiful car. GM builds lots of experimental and test vehicles, and we'll see several more as we work our way throughout the museum, too, because we can't tell the story of today's 2020 Corvette and 2021 Corvettes without some cars from the 50s. Okay, okay. great. So, of course, the Corvette was unveiled in 1953 at the Motorama in New York City, New York. It was a feat to be there and to see this new car in real life. However, General Motors had a little bit of an issue right before the car was unveiled. The original logo for the Corvette for cross flags was the American flag and a checkered flag. However, in the 50s, it was illegal to use the American flag for branding purposes. So, they had to do a last-minute switch. What we ended up with is what you see on the floor here. Right. We kept the checkered flag, but on the second flag, we added the Chevrolet symbol, the fleur-de-lis, because the Chevrolet brothers were French, and then the three bars underneath the fleur-de-lis represent the three Chevrolet brothers, Louis, Artem, and Gaston Chevrolet. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's still on the Corvettes today. Correct. Just a modified version of the original logo. It changes with every generation. Okay. Mm -hmm. What we have here is that 1953 Corvette that I was telling you about that made the museum possible. There were only 300 Corvettes made in 1953, and the museum is fortunate enough to have several in our collection. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, of the 53 Corvettes, you can only get them in white with red leather interior and two options, heat and AM radio. <laughs> Simple times back then, right? Right, right. <laughs> 
Of course, the 1953 Corvettes were built in Flint, Michigan, but in 54 they moved to the St. Louis assembly plant. In 54, the Corvette almost went extinct after that model year, until Ford released the 1955 Thunderbird. Right. Okay? Of course, Chevrolet and Ford have had this long battle for years, really since the beginning of both corporations. And GM said, oh no, no, no. Ford is not going to have us beat with this Thunderbird. Therefore, they came out with a 1955 Corvette with a V8 engine. But this 55 Corvette, I don't know that I've ever seen Well, one. this is the Thunderbird. That's the Thunderbird. And this is got, the 55. Okay. It's got the flags on the front. That's what was throwing mm -hmm. me. I kept looking. I was going to say, that thing looks just like a Thunderbird. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then this here is the 55 this Corvette. This is the 55 Corvette with the V8 engine. And it doesn't look anything really like the Thunderbird. Nope. It's but got it fins compete. on the back and, and some of that. It's really a sharp looking car. This Corvette, this 55, is a really pretty yellow with a... Harvest gold. Harvest gold. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of yellow, but the it interior does. matches and it's got a, a detachable canvas hood. It's a beautiful car. Now, the 55 Corvette would not have been possible without the godfather of Corvette, which is Mr. Zora Arcus Suntov. Now, the museum is not only home to Corvette, but is also a resting place for Zora and his wife, Elfie. Really? You'll see in the case here, in the bottom box are the ashes of Zora Arcus Suntov, and in the box above him are the ashes of his wife, Elfie. Really? Yes. <laughs> what, a, what, what a fitting place. This is where they chose to be laid to rest. Wow. Now, Zora wrote a letter called The Turning Point to General Motors about how they could really improve the Corvette. He wanted the Corvette to be better. He knew it could be better. Now, Zora was already well-respected in the car community. He had raced Corvettes. He had worked on other cars. He knew what he was talking about. This letter got him hired by General Motors. And without Zora Arkistantov, we would not have a mid-engine Corvette or the Corvette could have potentially died if it didn't have the V8 in 55. Okay. Okay. Now this that we're looking at is the 1954 entombed Corvette. A gentleman who owned a grocery store chain in Maine bought this car new. He loved it. The wife hated it, wanted no part of it, didn't like it, but he didn't want to get rid of this car. He wanted to make it in a way a time capsule. Okay. So he put it in the back of his grocery store built a tomb around it, so imagine the rest of this brick wall completely closed in, with his office above it. Okay. Now, he had it just big enough that the car could fit, and he built in a 6x6 glass window so he could check in and see it every now and then, and added two lights in case he ever wanted to fix it, and a trap door so he could send out the little boys that bagged the groceries for him in to change out the light bulbs every so often. Okay? <laughs> and so it was entombed. It was entombed, entombed. Completely entombed. Now, this gentleman passed away, his daughter sold the grocery store chain, and the gentleman that bought it said, you can keep the car in there, but only for X number of years longer, and you're going to have to get it out. So they did. She came to get the car out, but she was just the same as her father. After she got the car out, she took it to her home in Florida and put it inside of her living room. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow, this is quite the story. It's an all-original 54 Corvette, and the exhibit that we built it in is made possible from the East Tennessee Corvette Club, and we built it to the exact specifications that the tomb was inside the grocery store. And so does it still run? Or? It does still run. 
Wow. It's, it, and this is not what you would consider your mint condition Corvette. This is exactly the way it came out. This is exactly the way it came from the It's got the white team. wall tires that are a little bit yellowed, and, and mm -hmm. it's got little bumps in the paint, and yep, a little bit of discoloration the on the, on the uh, roof, canvas, and some of that. But it's that's a cool story. Mm -hmm. As you can, there's some photos of the car there as well. Okay. And it was sold at Barrett-Jackson and purchased by an anonymous donor who sent it here to the museum. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, are most of these uh, donated here? Or? So all of the cars that we have on display are a combination of either being on loan to the museum, donated to the museum, on loan from General Motors, or on permanent loan from General Motors. Okay. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're not owned or affiliated with General Motors, however, we do work with them closely. We are member-owned and operated by a board of directors. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so people can, can donate or, or uh, yes. loan their cars. Now, can they take them out and drive them every so often once they no. come on loan? Or so are they we have a loan agreement here? where, you know, we're not a garage or a holding facility for your Corvette. There's requirements that have to be met to have your car on loan here at the museum. Okay. When it's on loan, it's on loan for usually more than a year as well. And during that time, it will stay on display during that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is our Mobile One gas station, kind of traveling back in time to the late 50s and the early 60s. So we have a 61, a 57, and a 58 Corvette on display. The 61 Corvette is donated by Howard Maxwell last year, and it is a NCRS Top Flight Award winner, meaning that it is the most original, best-shaped Corvette that you could get and be awarded by the NCRS. Wow. Again, uh, every one of these cars. And it is Honduras Maroon. And you've got the, the 57 back there. Mm -hmm. And what year was this one? 58. This 58. Yeah, and this is a really nice gas station display. You've got the 58 with the gas attendant uh, going to fill up the gas tank. The gas flaps open. It's a bright orange car with a white inset. Uh, the 50 or the 61 is a maroon looking car and a black 57. 57. There we go. I need to keep all my facts straight. <laughs> and then so what we have here is our 1966 GM styling show Corvette. So every so often GM would have styling shows to showcase their own um, products and things that they're working on in the different departments at General Motors and this is one of the 62's that was used for it as well as our Route 66 display, because you can't talk about America's sports car without talking about America's Route 2, right? We did a podcast at a Route there 66 museum in Tucumcari. Yep, it's, it's a fascinating bit of history. It is. Also in this area, we have to show off some of the unique Corvettes. So the car hanging from the ceiling is a bumper car used when Disneyland opened in 1955 in oh, really? Autopia. We also have a 1994 Corvette pinball machine a retro scooter, kind of like bumper car-esque, and then a Esca Corvette pedal car. Now the Esca Corvette pedal cars were used by dealerships for the kids to ride around in while mom and dad were purchasing their new Corvette. <laughs> and those were given to the dealers or the dealers? Yes. Mm -hmm. what, a, what a neat concept that is. It is. Keep the kids busy while mom and dad get sold. 
So the next area that we're going to see is our mock St. Louis assembly plant. So I mentioned earlier that the first Corvettes in 53 were built in Flint, Michigan. From 54 to 81, they were built at the St. Louis assembly plant. And then in 81, they really moved to Bowling Green to the assembly plant that we have today. Okay. Now the original plant across the street from the museum used to build air conditioning units for Chrysler. That plant closed and the city of Bowling Green acquired the facilities. When General Motors put out that they were looking for a place to relocate, the city of Bowling Green reached out and said, hey, we've got this great vacant assembly plant already built. It's right across the street from an open area. You know, interstate exits right there, an hour from Nashville, an hour and some change with a time change from Louisville. If you'll come here, we'll lease you the plant for $1 a year for oh, 99 wow. years. Well, that was an opportunity that GM just couldn't refuse. I was going to say that. So they took it and they've been here ever since. Okay. Now Corvette made a lot of changes when they when they came from where did you say the plant was before Bowling Green? St. Louis. Louis. Mm -hmm. When they moved from St. Louis there were paint changes and other changes. There were some paint changes too. however Corvettes have always been built the same. The entire okay. body of the car is built. The entire chassis of the car is built. Then the two come together in what we call a marriage. Okay. Corvette is one of the only cars built that way. Okay, and, and what does the marriage involve? So what we have here is an example of a marriage. So you've got the whole body of the car that's completely done. You've got Including the whole the chassis of the car that's done. And they put the two together. And just bolt them together? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you, all your interior work and everything else is done before they put it on the frame. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's a marriage. Yeah. And this is a 73 that you've got a 73 in front and then another 73 mm -hmm. that's got the body lifted off to show exactly how this is all placed. Yes. Okay. So behind us, we have our 60s dealership. Corvettes have been always done the same way. No Corvette is built to sit on a lot and wait to be sold. Every Corvette is custom ordered so that we can ensure that you get exactly what you want. Okay. So all of the cars are ordered. There's an allotment given to specific dealerships so they know the total that they're going to build every year. And when that allotment is done, that model year is done. So you've got a custom order. You exactly have to custom what order. you want for your car. Mm -hmm. I was not aware of that. Yep. So you go to your dealership. You tell them you want to purchase a Corvette. That dealership may or may not have an allotment for the Corvette, depending on the area that you're in. You tell them exactly what you want, and they get it ordered. Okay. And this, this is set up just like the old dealerships in the, mm -hmm. uh, what, probably late 60s, late early 60s, 70s. Late 60s, early 70s, yep. And you've got a 67, cor two of 67s. Two 67s. Now, 67, was that a odd year for the Corvette from the standpoint of... Uh, there were some more there was a, there was a mid-year mid glitch or something, wasn't there? Oh, not quite in the 60s. We'll get there. Okay, okay. Okay. This is our E. Pierce Marshall Memorial Performance Gallery. So Corvette Performance has really worked closely with the Corvette that's delivered to the product, you know, okay, to give right. it to the customer. They work hand in hand together to make sure that it's the best car all around, both for racing and track performance and for the daily driver. Okay. okay. As we go through this area, each of the screens is interactive. So you can touch a screen and then on the projection wall above you, you can hear more about each of the cars, see historical footage, hear from the people who may have driven the cars if they're still alive to this day and others as well. Also, in the case is an artifact that goes with the car and a matching artifact that goes with it in the case behind the car. Okay. okay. So this is the 1957 Corvette SS that Zora drove. And of course we have his driving shoes. 
And then his steering wheel and gloves are behind you. And in the case out front, we have his race suit and helmet. Okay. Now, this does not look like a like a normal Corvette. This one's all set up for racing. Yes. Uh, in fact, the body looks quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. And they were testing fuel injection on this model. Is that what they were doing? Because it says they fuel injection. They were working with fuel injection on this model. Now, Zora, while he was working for General Motors, factory-backed racing didn't start until the C5 generation of Corvette. But okay. Zora had raced before, so he took it upon himself to make sure that he was involved in at least some form of Corvette racing at the beginning. Okay. okay. Of course, we have the 57 Union Oil car, the 1963 Z06 racer, the 1969 BASF racer, the 1973 Bethke, the 1985 Diatli, and the 1987 Escort Series. Now, cool thing about the 1957 Escort Series car is that it was driven by now-retired NCM Motorsports Park manager Mitch Wright. So even he was involved with Corvette before he headed to the Motorsports Park across the street. Okay. Mm -hmm. We also have the 1989 Record Run ZR1. So Tommy Morrison was the driver of this car, and he set the 24-hour endurance record that has yet to be beat in 1989 with this vehicle. Okay. And when you're saying 24-hour endurance, he drove for 24, 24 hours. hours straight. Yes. And what kind of speeds was he hitting? Some of the top feeds, it's buried. They did it on a dirt track and a gravel track and a little blacktop track, just like kind of depending on what area he was in. But I will let you in on a little secret. He used suitcases in the back of the car to help weigh down the back of the vehicle. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Yeah. Of course, the 1997 Mulligation C5R and the 2000 Dale Earnhardt C5R that Dale actually drove and the PS3 Gran Turismo C7 that was used for the game. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really highlight nice... highlight of the performance gallery. Yeah, and all of them, well, not all of them, but a lot of them have their sponsors on them, Mobile One and Goodyear and, and mm -hmm. all of that. They're all decaled up for, for their race sponsors. And we also have the 2015 C7R that raced at Le Mans. Tommy Milner's race suit and the C7R engine as well. This is right off the track, didn't even get cleaned up. I was going to say, it's got bug splatters all over it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And this one here is a 2015 CR7. And where was it racing? Daytona. Daytona, okay. Yeah. Too cool. You got your engine, uh, mm -hmm. a, an engine set up that's sitting right next mm -hmm. to the car. And as I said, the factory back racing started in C5 and continues all the way to today with the C8R. Okay. okay so this is the Vision Realized, 60 years of mid-engine Corvette design. So what we have here are a lot of the experimental vehicles that were used to test the mid-engine design concept before the 2020 Corvette. 2020 was the first year that you came out with, with the mid-engine mid correct but the work actually started in 1959 with zora arkis with the xp 708 also known as serve one this is the first mid-engine concept for corvette zora himself drove this car and all of the testing purposes as well he advocated for a mid-engine corvette since he started working at general motors so we say the 2020 corvette is really zora's dream come true wow and this is this is built more like your Indy 500 race yes, car. Yes, a whole with the purpose for this one was testing. So the engine, the engine is in the middle. Now GM is is kind of notorious as as all the car manufacturers. When they make a prototype, they usually destroy them, right? 
Some yes, some no. It really depends on who is in charge of the program at the time, what happens to what. Okay. Because I was thinking that, that it, the prototypes were really hard to come by. And For Corvette, they... they're easier to find than you might think. They built okay. several. So we also have the 1965 XP819, also known as the Ugly Duckling. It's called the Ugly Duckling because if you're to look at it from the back end, it looks like a duck with a little like tail. It. I've never seen one like this. Is it again a concept? It's again a concept. Okay. Everything that we're going to see in this area is going to be a concept except for the last car. Okay. okay. Yeah, this thing is, is really an unusual looking Corvette. And all of the concepts here are mid-engine concepts as well. Oh, they are mid-engine? Yes. Okay. So this is a 1968 XP880, also known as Astro 2, and it is also a mid-engine concept. And that's a really sharp looking car. Mm-hmm. That is just, that's an amazing looking car. You can really tell the difference between who is designing what when, when it comes to body style and shape, who had a little bit more say in things. Right. Of course, we have the Reynolds Aluminum Corvette, which is XP895, also a mid-engine Corvette. And what year is this one? 19, I just blanked, 72. 1972. All aluminum. Mm -hmm. So this is this is kind of coming out about the same time as the DeLorean. Right. The DeLorean came out somewhere in there, but it was all stainless instead of mm -hmm. aluminum. But this thing polishes up really nice in this beautiful car. Again, you wouldn't if you saw this driving down the road, you wouldn't really think Corvette. Mm -hmm. Behind us is the XP987 GT, also known as the two rotor Corvette. So this car originally had a Winkle two-rotor engine in it that GM used for testing purposes to see if it would work better as a two-rotor engine in the mid-engine Corvette. Really? Yes. So it currently has a two-rotor engine in it, but it has a Mazda two-rotor engine in it when we acquired the car. The original engine, as you can see, is sitting on the um, stand here. A gentleman by the name of Tom Falconer purchased this car at a GM auction when GM was on the brink of going bankrupt and they were selling off all of these experimental cars. Okay. He was European, so the car lived in Europe for a very long time. A few years ago, he decided that it would be best to have on display here at the museum, so reached out to our director of collections and curator. He said, you know, I'd love to have the car on display here. I just don't have use for it anymore, but I'm, I don't get a tax write off if I donate you all a car. Would you be willing to buy it from me? We said <laughs> yes. This is the only car that the museum has ever purchased for okay. a collection and it was purchased by the Texas Corvette Association and the Lone Star Corvette Club for the National Corvette Museum. Wow. Mm -hmm. Again, a real interesting looking car. I'm gonna have to take pictures of, of some of these concepts because they, they don't scream Corvette. They don't. No. At all. It, and, you know, I mean, really ahead of their time. When you look at the, the styling, this one is the 73. It looks very similar to a lot of the cars that were coming out mid-80s, mm -hmm. early 90s. So what we have here is the 1986 Corvette Indy. Tom <coughs> Peters, who is the retired chief engineer for and designer for Corvette. And this is the first car that he really got to work on when he was at General Motors. It is a mid-engine concept car. You'll notice that it has no rear view mirrors or side view mirrors. For a 1986 concept car, they put rear backup cameras in both sides of the doors and really? a screen in the center console. Oh, wow. But it's, it's also got a total glass canopy. Yes. Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. 
It almost it, it's almost uh, reminiscent of maybe like the old Studebakers where you couldn't tell if it was coming or going because mm -hmm. the back looks so much like the so front. So much like the front. Mm -hmm. In fact, it almost looks like it would be better turned around. So all of these concepts have led up to the mid-engine 2020 Corvette, which is what we have here in ceramic matrix gray. This one is not a prototype. This is a model that you could go in and purchase. Wow. I hear they're really fast. They are pretty cool, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So if you needed to take a break to do your sponsor yeah, let's go ahead this and is do the a most opportune time. Right here, and then we will go ahead and continue on. Okay, awesome. So this is our maintenance and preservation area. So anytime a new car comes in from the museum's collection, it's going to come in through this area first if it needs a little bit of work done. If... You know, we've got to go over and log all of the things in our notes about each car, then this is where that's going to happen. This is also where we house some of the museum Corvettes that we drive when we need to go places. So we have a 2017 Grand Sport that, Grand, that the museum has. That 2017 Grand Sport is currently not here. It's currently leading a group of 25 Corvettes in New Orleans, Louisiana on oh, what really? we call a Museum in Motion Tour. So our Corvette family is everywhere. We plan trips in specific places, not just here at the museum, for people to get out and drive their Corvettes and really be together. So that's where that car is right now. And then we have a brand new 2020 C8 that Mobile One sent us that we use for those events as well. Okay, so you guys take your museum all over the place. Yes. Well, at least one, one of the specimens from your museum. <laughs> right. That is, that's really a neat... Uh, Mm -hmm. service. I mean, it, it brings attention to your museum. and uh... Right. And it allows our enthusiasts to get out and drive their Corvettes and spend time together as well. Okay. So as I mentioned, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So we have different levels of membership. You can purchase a membership for as low as $50 a year or a $1,500 membership, which gets you in as a lifetime member of the museum. Okay. So there's different levels of membership for people who want to support the museum, and of course there's perks as well. So the museum has America Sports Car Magazine, which is a quarterly publication sent out to members here at the museum. We have almost 50,000 museum members wow. from all of those different levels. And then we have options for kids to be members of the museum too. We have a next generation membership, so we're starting the next generation of Corvette enthusiasts young. That's really neat. And how much does it cost to get into this museum? It's $15 for an adult, $13 for a senior, and $10 for a kid. That's really reasonable considering what you've got here. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that GM is not funding this. <laughs> you guys are funding all this yourself. Correct. And I have no idea what you've got in here in the way of money in these collectible <laughs> Corvettes and, and the concepts. I mean, some of those concepts uh, are what, $2, two million? To, in order to purchase? I or? can't disclose value of some of the Corvettes <laughs> that we have on display. I will say that we are a living museum, so we constantly are rotating out our exhibits and the cars on display, so no two visits here will ever be the same. Wow. And so you've got a back room uh, we have uh, museum it. tour that you can do? <laughs> we have 80 to 90 Corvettes on display at any given time, but we also have different storage facilities with different Corvettes that we can bring in and rotate out and showcase different cars and different exhibits as well. Wow. That is... I was at Hershey, huh? and uh, I was looking for something specific, and I said, do you guys have any vans? And he says, well, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a van down in the basement. And I says, well, can I go see it? He says, well, that's the basement tour. 
And that one costs an extra 10 bucks. And I says, well, here's my 10 bucks. The basement was better than their display upstairs. <laughs> and so I, I just was kind of asking if there was a basement uh, oh, tour we no. could go do. <laughs> Maybe someday, but not today. <laughs> so on February 12th of 2014 at 5.39 in the morning, something set off the motion detectors in the security system here at the museum. When the first person arrived here that day and they got into the Sky Dome after the call from the security company, they get back in there and it's cloudy and hazy and smoky. Now, nobody knew what it was. She thought it was a fire, so she left and called 911. Fire department gets here, they go in, they scope out the area, and they realize that a 35 feet deep sinkhole had opened up inside of the museum's Sky Dome. So the Sky Dome is that big yellow shape that you see from the outside of the building. Right. Of course, that shape has no relation to Corvette. It was literally built to get people to attract to this area from I-65. Okay. Okay. That's the number one question. What does that mean? What does the Scato mean? Why is it yellow with a red fire sticking through? <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. It's just nice and catchy from the interstate, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, and you can see it from a long ways away. You can. So this is this is just an amazing story. So. I'm intrigued. Okay. Have you, did you know about the sinkhole before? Oh, yeah. I knew about of the sinkhole course. before. I've, in fact, I, I, I've been kind of following it in several of the different car magazines. Mm -hmm. I get uh, uh, Hemming's Classic Car yep. and, and Muscle Machines. Mm -hmm. Both have talked about it a lot. And So this is cave country. Mammoth Cave National Park is just about 25 or 30 minutes up the road from us. And there's more than one cave system in this area, other than Mammoth Cave as well. Of course, Lost River Cave is here in Bowling Green. There's Onyx Cave. There's several others as you work your way um, through the state as well. Okay. okay. So we knew that this was cave country. Everybody knows that this is cave country. You can build any structure anywhere, and you, there could be a cave under your feet. Okay. So we didn't intentionally build the museum on top of a cave in hopes that this would happen. I can promise you did that. Did you even know that there was a cave underneath it? So I mean, the are, potential was there, but did you know it was there? So caves are made out of limestone rock. That okay. rock erodes over time very quickly when it's a wet and cold climate. Caves run at about 55 degrees year-round in terms right. of the temperature inside. When they built the museum, they tested the ground their required amount of feet deep. At the time, the cave wasn't to that point yet. It was still deep, deep into the ground. Okay. So when the museum opened in 94, and the sinkhole happened in 14, so over 20 years it took to get to the point where the cave ceiling couldn't support the weight of everything that was sitting on top of it anymore. And that's what caused the sinkhole to happen. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, can we go see the sinkhole? We can, we can, but before we get in there, so eight of the cars fell through. Of those eight cars, three have been restored and the other five have been left damaged. When you see them, you'll understand why we couldn't restore those five. Okay? Well, fiberglass body wouldn't take a 35-foot drop very well. Oh, more than just that. So, of course, we made international and national news coverage, but we caught part of the sinkhole on security camera. Oh, really? Yes. So you saw it as it was going down. And you've got this on display where we can watch. There it goes. Looks like the floor kind of drops a little bit and then holds. And then it's all. Oh, floor just fell out from underneath one of the cars. And now what's going to happen? You can see the clock tick here as well. Right. So it, it didn't just start to sink. So Real fast. Uh, it, it the floor kind of shook, and then now the oh, rest of it's going to go. And then that's right when the feed got cut, and we didn't get the rest of it. Oh, so you just got the one car disappearing. 
Yep, before the feed ended. Oh. That's not good. No. Mm -mm. So we got and all that, that eight cars kind of out. That was a, like a major showcase area. Those were, yes. were very valuable cars. They were. They were. So we'll kind of snake through this. We'll tell you about, you know, the cave country and the car system that's here, as well as the eight cars that were extracted with photos and a new coverage of everything. And you've got the legend where you can see everything and then the shape of the sky dome where it all fell in. Okay. And then the yellow outline is going to start here for the cave outline. As we get into the sky dome, you'll see a red outline on the floor. It's going to represent the sinkhole outline. Okay. Now, the cave itself is not filled in. All we did was install micro piles to support the weight of the rest of the museum and then repair the floor. Okay? okay. We had geologists and insurance companies and everything come and check it out, and the cave itself could not be filled in because it's still a living ecosystem. Okay. Okay. And so it, those, those pillars that they put in won't sink that are supporting as, as the limestone erodes, or do you got to go back in every year and, and do some more? Micro piles are installed to support cave systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is our sinkhole simulator. We're about 30 seconds too late. So if you want to stand here and experience it, I highly recommend it. Okay. We are standing in what would be the sinkhole right now. Right. So what's going to happen is we're going to look up above us and we're going to see what it would have been like to be in the sinkhole and in the cave when the floor collapsed. Okay. Now, this is this is a dark area. It's a dark cave. Uh, they've got mm -hmm. simulated cave walls in here and uh, and the roof. And it should start over momentarily. Okay. It's on a self timer. Okay. It looks like it's getting darker, and it says simulation starts in 57 seconds. So what should we talk about for 57 seconds? You tell me. What do you want to know? What have you seen so far that you've liked? Everything. Everything? You know, this museum is so cool because you guys have such nice displays. The cars are all total, I mean, beautiful cars, other than the one that's in, in case that 53. <laughs> but at the same time, that's cool just because of what it is. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, it's a barn find. Yes. And... Uh, there's a lot of people here. It seems like uh, you guys stay fairly busy, mm -hmm. and it's after the easy sinkhole, to find. After the sinkhole, our visitors increase to almost a quarter of a million a year. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of why I know it's here, is because all the car man, uh, publications yep. were talking about the sinkhole. Mm -hmm. So we're down to five seconds here. We're going to get the simulation of, of the sinkhole. Okay, we got some rocks falling. Oh, now we got lots of rocks falling. And here comes some Corvettes. Oh, more Corvettes. Oh, what a shame. And it's going to transfer to the floor so you can see what it would have been like standing on the edge of the sinkhole as well. When you're looking down in? Yep. Just a second. Okay. Oh, there you go. This is a really neat, a really neat display that you've got as far as interactive and I'm sure kids just absolutely love this. They do. So now we're going to head into the Scotto.
Oh. Okay. So this is the yellow building that you can see from the outside. Now before we talk about the single cars, I'm going to talk about these two cars that are on display here. Okay. This is our Stars and Cars exhibit. So we have Roy Orbison's 1967 Corvette on display and George Jones's 1978 Corvette Now he on didn't display. sing about that, song, that car, oh, did he? Oh, he did. Well, he did. That's <laughs> called The One I Loved Back Then, also known as the Corvette Song. Right. And George Jones performed at the museum's grand opening on September 1st in 1994. Really? Yes. So Lon Helton, our past chairman of the board, is big in country music and he works with the Country Music Hall of Fame as well as has a country music radio show in Nashville. He and George had a very close relationship. Okay. So when they were going to get rid of George's 1978 Corvette, he purchased it from George Jones's estate and donated it here to have on display at the museum. Now that is a the possum's license plate. It is. Now that is a 1978 Corvette through and through. George special ordered a specific paint job from General Motors to be two-tone with a dark brown and the light beige to mimic the 1978 pace car of the two-tone gray and black. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then we have 19, the 1967 Roy Orbison Corvette, which is the last car that Roy purchased before his passing. Okay. And now did Roy have other Corvettes or is this... He had other Corvettes, but this is the last one that he owned. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and then you've got... Us, you've got pictures all up here. So this is the Corvette Hall of Fame hanging around the room. So each year the museum inducts one individual into four different categories. GM and Chevrolet, racing, enthusiast, and Corvette community contributor. Okay. So our most recent Hall of Fame inductees for racing are Doug Feehan, retired program racing program manager. Wendell Strode, the retired executive director of 25 years of the National Corvette Museum and to Corvette Community Contributor. Okay. Mike McCaw into Enthusiast for his work with NCRS and Henry Haga into the GM Chevrolet category for his design work. Okay. And these are big posters. They're probably 8 by 8 or, or 10 by 10. 10 by 10. 10 by 10. And it's got their picture and, and who they were. Dave McClellan, GM Chevrolet, inducted 1999. Jim Perkins, GM Chevrolet, inducted 1999. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes all around this dome. It looks like you've still got room for a lot more. We do have still room for a lot more. And there's also some women in each of the categories, too. We have Betty Skelton in the racing category. Okay. Donna Mae Mims in the racing category. And... Dolly Cole in the Enthusiast category, and Elfie Duntoff, Zora's wife, who's buried here at the museum. Although she's not in the Hall of Fame, there's a Women's Giving Society for women who are specifically involved in Corvette to get together and discuss the automotive industry, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your several pace cars. We do have here. several pace cars, and then right in the middle of the room, we have the eight cars that fell into the sinkhole. So the 1962 Tuxedo Black was restored by the museum's preservation team. The 1 millionth was restored by General Motors, and the 2009 ZR1 Blue Devil was restored by General Motors. And this was a 1 millionth Corvette to roll off the line. Yes. And how bad was it beat up when, you got, when, when they went to the restoration? Pretty bad. You can okay. see some of the pictures here about where it fell in. Right. And so did they have to put a new body on it? Because the fiberglass, I'm sure, cracked. Bits and pieces, yes. Um, underneath the hood of the car, a car is leaving. A car is leaving. A car right is now, leaving. Sammy Hagar singing. 
On the inside of the hood were all of the signatures on the individuals who worked on building the one millionth Corvette. Okay. When they did the restoration, GM went back and found all of those same individuals who really? were still living to have them resigned. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So this thing's 100% back to what it was. Yes. Unbelievable. So the 2009 Blue Devil was one of the last cars to fall into the sinkhole, so the first to be extracted. It had minimal damage, mainly to the fiberglass of the car. Uh-huh. When they got it out, they were pretty sure they could drive it out of the museum, so they put the keys in the ignition, cranked it, and drove it outside. Really? Mm-hmm. With wow. all the dirt and debris on it, too. Now, the 2009 ZR1 Blue Devil, at the time of the sinkhole, was the most expensive car that GM had built to date. It was a Z06 converted to a ZR1. Okay. Okay. Then the orange car is the 1984 PPG Pace car. It was the first to fall into the sinkhole. Oh. <laughs> Next to it is the 2009 one and a half millionth Corvette. And behind them, you have the mallet hammer and the spider. And on the top of the lift is the 40th anniversary 1993 Corvette. Oh, and these things are sad. They are. <clears throat> this is really sad. Wow. But they're all right here on display. Now, where's the sinkhole? We're standing on top of it. We're standing you on top of it. You can see the red it. outline here. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, behind us... We have the Sam Arrow Corvette. So Sam Schmidt was a race car driver. You may know he was injured in a racing accident and is a paraplegic, so he's paralyzed from the neck down. However, with the ability and use of Aero Electronics, Sam can drive a Corvette and race a Corvette by using an air tube that he can blow into to change speeds as well as turn the steering wheel. Really? Yes. So this is the C7. They just did a C8, and he drove the C8 for the first time here at the NCM Motorsports Park in November. That's unbelievable mm -hmm. that you could be a paraplegic and, and be able to still race. Aero Electronics offers the same technology to anyone who is willing to do it for free if they fill out an online application. Really? For any type of car or just Corvettes? For any car. For any car. Wow. We what a service a that is. 1961 Resto Mod. Okay. This that one's... was done by Joe Mason. So this is what we call Corvette Reimagined. So two, these two cars together. Two people taking a classic Corvette or a you know regular Corvette and converting them into something that they want the car to be. And now this has the LS engine. And yes. All of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a be what beautiful car. I, I love old cars. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of like to me it's like an art museum. Just the the styling and the. The colors and the... So if you'd like to look into the sinkhole, you may do oh, so here. hey. That's a long ways down. Almost 35 feet. Almost 35 feet. They've got a, they've got a little uh, glass step on that you can look down the hole and see how far those cars fell. That is just unbelievable. But you look at these cars, it's unbelievable. The way that they're uh, mangled, I guess, is the best way to... The seats on this one are all completely compressed and mm -hmm. now you understand why they couldn't be restored it wasn't just the oh yeah glass. no 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 there's these cars are just totally there are still components injured. of the cars underneath the what we're standing on to in the sinkhole and the rock that crushed the mallet hammer is outside of the other museum entrance opposite from the one that you came in that can be seen and it is quite large Wow. This is our Corvette Generations display where we have one car kind of summing up each generation of Corvette. 
The 2019 Stingray that you see on the end here is the last front engine Stingray built at the Bowling Green assembly plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Of course, we have the 07 Z06, the 2004, the 86. Now the 77 was donated by Libby Smith. She is a Kentucky native and public school educator who purchased this car brand new in 1977. It's also an NCRS Top Flight Award winner. She took such great care of the car that when she picked it up from the dealership, she didn't even have them take the plastic off of the seats. So she's oh, never wow. sat on the original seats. She took it immediately to someone who can make sheepskin seat covers, and that's what she sat on top of the entire time. But wow. that doesn't mean she didn't drive it. She used it as her daily driver. Did she really? Yes. Okay, and, and they, have them, they have them all lined up here. And the way that they uh, label them is, is C1 is the first generation. Yes. And then you've got C2, C3, C4, on up to C7. And the years are the C1 is 53 through 62, which means the body style was basically the same. Mm -hmm. uh, different, maybe a little bit of different changes. Then you got the 63 through 67 is the C2, 68 through 82 is the C3, the six, uh, C4 is 84 through 96, C5 is 97 through 2004, C6 is 2005 to 2013, and then 2014 to 2019 is a C7, and so now they're in the, the C8s. Now, you may have noticed when you did that that we kind of skipped a year, didn't we? There's no 1983. Okay, there is no 1983. That's because there's only one 1983 Corvette left in existence, and we have it here on display. Okay, what happened in 1983? So in 1983, General Motors was having a really hard time getting the emissions standards to work with the car. It just wasn't what they wanted it to be. It couldn't mean everything. So they basically just said, screw it, we're done moving on to 84. We've got more time to work on it. So what happened was the 43 1983 Corvettes that they had built were sitting at the Bowling Green assembly plant. Okay. okay. Everything I'm about to tell you is a true story, even though how oh. crazy it sounds. Okay. Let me just preface, okay? A gentleman who had worked on these cars was sent a crusher by General Motors with instructions to crush every single car and get rid of any record of the 83 even existing. GM was just going to wipe it out of existence and say, it's don't even know what happened to it. 83, what's that, right? Right. So he was new to Bowling Green. He had never lived in the South before. So the first thing that he wanted when he got here was a brand new pair of cowboy boots. This gentleman was from Michigan, okay? Okay. So he got his brand new pair of cowboy boots. The first day that he wore them to work is the day that he was supposed to be crushing these 43 Corvettes. He crushes 42. And it starts <laughs> to rain. And he looks down, he's like, nope, uh-uh, not my new boots. I'm not getting them dirty and wet and messed up. I'm going in, I'll get that last one in the morning. Morning comes. He gets to work. Crusher had already been picked up. Other 83 was sitting inside. And he's like, oh no, I'm going to be in so much trouble. What am I going to do? I'm going to get fired because I didn't do my job. What is going on? So he tells his buddy, who also worked on the 83 with him. And they're like, we just we can't tell GM. What if they need this car someday? What if they need this car someday for something? So they hit it. Pause. Another car Another is leaving the boulevard. <laughs> we got Sammy Hagar playing again. <laughs> Oh, wait till he's finished. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So, he and his friend take the 83 outside of the Bowling Green assembly plant, 
cover it in tarps and pallets and just leave it sitting and they're not going to tell anybody that it's there. A new plant manager comes in and he's walking the grounds getting familiar with the area and he points to this pile of quite literally what he thinks is junk and says we need to get that mess cleaned up. So I send someone out there and they start pulling away the tarps and the pallets and the layers and the leaves and the limbs and oh my gosh there's a Corvette under here. What is this? So they start doing what research they can and realize that it is the 1983 Corvette, the one and only. Wow. Now this Corvette has escaped death twice. That was the first time. The second time when the sinkhole happened, that car was on display in this room, four and a half feet from the opening of the sinkhole. Oh. When the sinkhole happened, first responders, insurance companies, security, everyone said no one, is, no one goes in this building until we figure out that the rest of the building is stifled. Everyone's going, what about the 83? What about the 83? What about the 83? We've got to move the 83. We've got to move the 83. Nothing happened to the 83. They said, fine. You've got like 20 minutes, get in there, move it, and then get back out. We only came into this building the day of the sinkhole to move the 83. <laughs> to ensure that nothing would happen to the 83. Yeah. Oh, isn't that an awesome story? Mm -hmm. So it is the one and only. There is no other 83 left in existence. That's it. Wow. That is just, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. All over a pair of boots. All over a pair of boots. Did they buy the man a new pair of boots? I wish. <laughs> when he came, he came here two years ago and I asked him, I said, do you still have the boots? And he goes, no, but let me tell you, I wish I did. Oh, I'll bet he does. He does. He wished he had the boots. That's for sure. That is just, wow. I don't know. What a cool story. It is. Behind us, we have the 2018 developmental powertrain Corvette that they used when they were testing the 2020 mid-engine design. The development of the 2020 Corvette originally started in 2012, just wow, to give you a okay. timeline. Okay. So it took them eight years to get it. To get all the kings worked out and to get it that they wanted it, it took them eight years. Next to it, we have the Astrovet, which was used in 1968 to test the aerodynamic ability that Corvette could be, meaning how slippery it could be in the air once it had reached a certain speed. Okay. All it is is a test vehicle that they used for that. But the body is very, very similar to what the 68 Corvette was. Yes. Okay. Also, we have Zora Arcus Stuntov's 1974 Corvette. Now, this is the only Corvette that Zora ever actually owned himself. Oh, really? His entire time working with General Motors, they gave him Corvettes to drive, so he didn't have to own one. Okay. When he retired, he purchased the 1974 Corvette. He didn't want the colors that were available, so he painted it custom the two-tone blue and he added his own little signature touch so on each of the top of the doors or he hand painted and pinstriped his initials on the top when he left General Motors he took some things with him that weren't yet available so you'll notice that the wheels on the 74 Corvette are prototypes okay <laughs> next to it we have a painting that his wife Elfie did of Zora the car and their European home Wow it's a nice looking home too. Mm -hmm. Now Zora didn't pass away until 1996. He was here at the grand opening of the museum. Oh really? Driving the skid steer and bulldozer. <laughs> Not a Corvette. Not a, well, I will say this, that we did have a cutout of a Corvette put on the side. <laughs> okay, now this one's out of place. So this is the 1989 Corvette ZR12. Now we talked about the Ford Thunderbird. Now hold on, hold okay, on. Okay, 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 okay. We <laughs> talked about the Ford Thunderbird earlier. Right. And that you know, continuous battleship between Chevy and Ford, right? Right. 
Well, at an auto show, Dodge unveiled this V10 two-seater sports car and said, look what we can do, okay? Now, you know that Corvette will not be showed up by anybody. We have to be the best <laughs> of the best, right? Right, right. So, they built, just to prove that they could do it, a 12-cylinder engine with a, with a Falconer engine done by Ryan Falconer. They extended the chassis eight inches to get the engine to fit inside the car. They took it to the next auto show just to say, look what we did. You can do it, but we can do it better. And so that's just a prototype. All it is is a prototype just to prove that they could do something better. Wow. Quite interesting, right? It, it is. And then, of course, we have the 1993 Dodge race, Viper next to it. Did they ever race the two of them? Not that I'm aware of. Because <laughs> those Vipers were considered pretty hot little cars. They were, yeah. So that's how we have the, you know, the Dodge Viper. That's what got the ZR12 started. And then, of course, the 1993 Dodge Viper as well. Okay. That's an interesting story as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, when this will this... This is just so cool. When will this podcast air? Probably two to three months out. Okay. I'm going to ask them that the next area that you don't include, because that exhibit ends on April 25th, Okay. And a new exhibit will be on display on May 25th. So I'll give you all the information. Just please don't include it in the podcast because that exhibit will no longer be here. Well, do we want to I just shut the you, podcast down now and we can just we say can. you have a, a I revolver. can tease the next exhibit. There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, Mariah, I really appreciate you taking us through this museum. This is an absolutely fantastic museum. And I was really excited about getting here. Uh, and I'm so pleased that you guys took your time with a little guy like me. Well, thank you really for asking have... to come here. We love showcasing Corvette and Corvette history to all of our museum visitors and enthusiasts and potential enthusiasts. Cool. And uh, we've got a display that we're going to go in to mm -hmm. that uh, we're going to go ahead and shut the podcast down now because she said that this display is going to be gone probably before this podcast is released. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have another display come in. This is right. a revolving uh, yes, so the next area months. of the museum is our rotating exhibit hall. So those exhibits are on display for a year at a time. Those exhibits end in April of the next year. So this exhibit is going to be ending on April of 2021. And the next exhibit that we will have coming through will end in April of 2022. That next exhibit is called Corvette Powered. So we okay. will have non-General Motors, non-Corvette vehicles on display that use Corvette engines drive lines and technology in their own vehicles okay mm -hmm. that sounds cool yeah i was gonna, gonna say open. there's a lot of a lot of home builders have used corvette components for it their will be open on rides. memorial day weekend of 2021 okay. a few of the cars that will be in that exhibit as a little bit of a tease are a 1977 avanti 2 a okay. bitzerini corvette and several others as well cool well we'll have to come back and see that yes you will so again, I so appreciate you taking your time with us. You're the welcome. The way I finish out all of my podcasts is I say the world is full of wonder. It People is. People need to get out and explore. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the road and go. Where am I to go? Meet Johnny. Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad. And where am I to go? Out along the topsail yard, that's where you're bound to go, Johnny. Way, hey, hey, all the rolling goats out along the top.
topsail yard, take the topsail in. I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go? Hey, Johnny, where am I to go? Johnny, way, hey, hey. All the rolling go. Young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Pits out along the royal yard, that's where you're bound to go, Johnny. Way, hey, hey, all the rolling go. Pits out along the royal yard, the royal forest stove. I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Oh, where am I to go? Me, Johnny, where am I to go? Yeah. 